Coming up, we're talking Disney policy changes and a look at SeaWorld's new Halloween offerings. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Attraction Network podcast, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. Of course, since we're talking about large trends, they're not always directly related to Halloween or haunted houses. So if that's not your thing, come back here tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup and, of course, our programming for the rest of the week. And with that, here's Green Tagged. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged, Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip. He's Scott. And today we're going to start off with another Disney minute. <laughs> Disney has really. <laughs> Are you going to Disney bash again, Philip? Come on now. So this is not Disney bashing. Oh, or, okay, I don't, good. I don't. I don't intend it to be Disney bashing, but you never know. It's true uh, where true. the show might lead. Uh, but we have a collection of stories here about updates, very fast updates, but some policy and and some thematic here. And of course, the first was I think the big news story of the week for most people, which was that the Journey of Water, the new attraction inspired by Moana, has released details. Inspired by the Walt Disney Picture movie Moana, the attraction is based on the journey of water as it goes through its cycle from sky to earth and back again with nods towards the movie's main character, Moana, who has a special bond with the playfulness of water. Uh, they mainly release pictures and the information, but what I thought was interesting about this is it's going in at Epcot, and of course, it's great to see new attractions and blah, blah, blah. And we talked previously about how Epcot used to be the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. It was the original concept of it to be an educational, fun park. But Disney, of course, when they did, when they reorganized and they brought in the Disney Plus idea, they made the announcement they were going to be recentering that park around IP, you know, instead of like. <laughs> technology and learning and education. So I th actually thought this was a positive announcement because looking at the, th the theming and looking at the storyline of it, it seems like they're trying to still give a nod towards real life science and real life education, but couch it, you know, in the world of the IP characters, which was actually a step more than I thought they were going to do based on <laughs> the, uh, based on Remy and based on uh, the frozen, reskin uh you know so i actually i'm optimistic i'm like well if this is the direction that we will be going with this and it will actually have real educational components to it but still be couched in the ip then i think it would be a win-win it's the magic kingdom goes to school that's really kind of the way i i envision it um and i think though that what you're seeing is uh a reaction as you know and disney's really they, they don't always make the right choices up front but they are yeah. really good about listening to you know, the, the either the the guests or the the commentary as to what happened to this place where we could go learn and have fun um, when they went way too far in the other direction. You know, and, and I totally get it. On paper, it looks like we've got all these assets. We've got all this intellectual property. Why are we not putting it out there? Why are we not following the model that has worked for Disneyland, Disney World for, for generations now? Um and uh, so I understand why they want to incorporate it. I'm excited to see this too. I agree with you. I think this is a step in the right direction. I do think it is in response to um, some folks saying, you know, what happened to uh, 
what happened to the the learning side, um, the celebration of learning that Epcot used to be all about. And, you know, do you have to eliminate the education in order to include the IP? And mm -hmm. this, again, still early, but based on, on what they're releasing so far, this looks like a really nice uh, amalgam of, of those those concepts into something that I think guests will enjoy. I think families will enjoy. And if they walk mm -hmm. away learning something more power to them, I think that's exactly the way it should yeah. go. Um, I'm also, I'm also excited that, you know, it's, it's just another perfect example of how uh, storytelling is just as much a part of scenic design as it is a part of scripting as, as it is a part of visuals uh, for, you know, film or projection or animation or whatever. Um, I love the fact that they are, giving as much weight to scenic um as they are and the fact that this is kind of the lead the lead story the first thing that we're seeing of course i guess you know it's it's also that you have these incredibly avid disney fans who are like okay so what little bit are we going to see now oh look there's mm -hmm. some rock work with moana's face in it got it you know that's yeah. great this is awesome i mean it got us yeah. to talk about it you know so there we yeah. go um yeah but uh, yeah i i think this is I think this is a step back in the right direction. Um, I don't think that the other stuff they did was necessarily bad, but I think it was too far, too far afield from what Epcot set out to be. Yeah. In my opinion. I really like your point there about step back in the right direction. But the other reason that I kind of thought of Scott when I read this is, you know, Scott, a lot of the work that you do is of course going to educational institutions mm -hmm. and, arguing the opposite of being like, you know, education, you can be educational, but you can also be fun and you can work in IP into characters. And so it's kind of like you're, you've been taking the opposite approach with some of the clients, but coming to the same, the same uh, mix. Exactly. And, and it's funny, maybe that's why it, it resonates so strongly with me is because I, I want to make certain that people recognize entertainment and education are not, uh, opponents to one another they are they yeah. work together incredibly well and incredibly powerful in fact you know we're recording this on uh, on sunday the 28th and this coming week i'll be at the aza convention um mm -hmm. to talk to a lot of my my friends colleagues and perhaps future clients in some cases um regarding exactly this how to incorporate entertainment and education you know having having done some projects for Space Center Houston and various zoos and various aquariums and various museums, um, I've seen the power. I've, I've, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid and, uh, of course, working for Busch Gardens, I did the same thing. You know, Busch Gardens is, when I was there, was the second or third largest zoo in the country, depending on how the breeding program was going. So it, it, it was, it was integral in the way that I kind of quote unquote grew up in the, in the theme park world. So, um, I'm really excited that that people are understanding this more and more, and I hope that uh, educators will um, not be afraid to to recognize that being entertaining gets attention, it keeps attention, and mm -hmm. it helps with reten with retention uh, of yeah. of sharing new ideas. So yeah. make people giggle, make people laugh, and they will learn. And especially now, as you know, hopefully Disney will show us. Um, it, as they're as they're laughing and learning, uh, they, it works even more when you've got a recognizable recognizable character or intellectual property that the kids are already yeah. in love with. Yeah, yeah, and I also think it it dovetails nicely with 
the the trend again seemingly unrelated but the same kind of trend we've been seeing in the rest of entertainment which is you know kids don't just like to be preached to mm-hmm. they like to be they like to participate and learn by doing which is coming from my education background that's kind of the best as well the best thing and that's again the same thing we've been talking about with entertainment right the the shift of moving from being just watching of just being the passively entertained to enter to entertaining to being an active participant in the entertainment it's really when you look at it i think it's it's very similar mhm absolutely and and i and i think that you know the more we can get the support of the the larger parks the more the larger parks let me put it this way if the larger parks are starting to embrace it it means there's going to be a trickle down that's going to happen yeah, sooner exactly. rather than later exactly exactly well our next the rest of the Disney stories, I think, are all in that same idea of a step back in the right direction uh, or a correction to something they've been done, that they've been doing. The first is that uh, Walt Disney World has added Roy Disney to the Enchantment Fireworks show, <laughs> which I think is the same thing. It's a correction because this is a show that came out, of course, for the the big uh, uh, birthday celebration this year, which has been going on, you know, for a while. And um, I think we, we talked, we've talked about that before in a previous episode, but really the idea that even though it's this big, you know, big birthday celebration, there hasn't really been much. <laughs> uh, it hasn't seemed that special. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, it's pandemic, maybe kind of using that as the excuse. But there weren't really these touches of celebrating Disney and celebrating like the birthday of, of you know, of the company. And so I think this is a, again, correction back where they probably, you know, getting that feedback of this, this celebration doesn't really seem like a big annual birthday celebration. It doesn't seem special anyway. So adding in Roy Disney a little bit back into the changing the show kind of mid mid celebration to add in a little bit of Disney nostalgia, I think is a good idea. Whenever a park celebrates a milestone birthday or a milestone anniversary, their marketing department, at least so many of them that I've seen, their marketing department has this sort of brain freeze. They get terrified mm-hmm. because they don't want to say, look, we're old. They want to say, um, you know, we're new, we're fresh, we're vibrant, because that's what, you know, all of the, the stats say they should say. But when they completely ignore the, the legacy, because it's not just history, it's legacy, and especially with Disney. Yeah. You know, Disney has a legacy. And the moment you shut that down, even, you know, people significantly younger than I am recognize it's like, wait a minute, no, you didn't just start with Disney+. Plus. That's not when Disney started. Disney started way, way, way before that. Um, And, you know, it's, I agree with you, and I hadn't really thought about it until you just mentioned it. And that is that this birthday celebration, in comparison to, because I'm, you know, I was around for the, was it the 25th, where they took Mm -hmm. the the Magic Kingdom castle and made it pink and made it a giant birthday cake. And everybody was trying to get all the imagery and all of the the merchandise they possibly could of the the giant pink cake. And yes, at the time I was lucky enough. I still have one of the the maquettes of the of the birthday cake castle. Ooh. Um so that was a big deal. And this one seems mm-hmm. significantly more toned down. Mm-hmm. But I I, and I'm I'm guessing this is pure conjecture. I have no insider information on this re- in regards to this. But I'm guessing that it's probably that finding that balance between we're fresh and we're new, and yep. we're built on a legacy of fifty years. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm and I and I'm thrilled. I am thrilled to see that Walt and Roy are are being, you know, recognized. Because to to not recognize them is 
in my opinion, just kind of criminal. Um, because you know, Walt, especially, I mean, Roy obviously as well, but, but Walt especially was set the, set the, the ground rules for the company and many of them still apply. So, um, to, to not even give a nod to that or, um, or recognize it, I think is, is a mistake. And I think, again, step in the right direction. I think they're, they're coming back and they're recognizing, you know what, we don't have to be quite as, as uh, on point to the theory that we're getting presented. We still have to maintain the fact that Disney is a company of heart. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, they've, they've, they're, they're always struggling back and forth because you know what? Businesses, yes. businesses don't run on heart. They run on cash. I get that. I understand that completely. But I also think that you have to recognize in order for there to be longevity, sometimes you have to make certain that heart leads, uh, especially if you're an entertainment company because you want people to care about your product. Yep. That's exactly right. And I, I think that they they were struggling with that line. Exactly. And also the line of like, how obviously they, they were trying to attract more first time and more mm-hmm. infrequent guests and how much of the company history are they really going to know? Are they going to recognize this, Roy? Like there's all this like, you know, and again, I think this is a good middle ground to kind of work him in. And, you know, it's not, it's not a huge, it's not like the whole, it's not like the whole thing is, is just about the history. You know, it's not a right. documentary, but it's, it's enough so that you try and meet the fans part way. And I, I also think too, it goes back to, I know, I know a lot of people like to rag on guests, but I think um, it's guests can be surprisingly intuitive about things. You know, they may not be able to tell you the exact story of a ride, but they they know this, the the sense or the feeling if the story is written in and conveyed appropriately. I think you know that people understand, right? So. And I think you also have to recognize that with any sort of of guest feedback, guest feedback should never ever be used as the decision. It should be used as the tool, one of the tools to make the decision. You know, it's a perfect example of this is you show uh, a sampling a sampling of 100 people, and I know they would do a sampling of significantly more than that, but you do a sampling of 100 people and you show them a picture of Walt and Roy and you say, who is this? And, you know, 20, 20 of them, 20 of them say, I know who that is or I recognize that. So therefore, according to that data, you should just get rid of it completely because 80% of the people have no idea who it is. However, the 20 who do will be like, this is offensive and you lose that 20. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, again, this looks great on paper to say nobody knows who they are, you know, and, and Roy, I would recognize him, but I don't know whether many people younger than I would, I am would. Um, I think Walt, they recognize a little bit more because he's still sort of iconic. You still mm-hmm. see him on, on t-shirts every now and then. Um, but uh, so uh, again, I, I think you have to kind of recognize sometimes you have to make that heartfelt decision and not just what the, the, the business data says you should follow. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, on the, uh, Disneyland side, uh, kind of dovetail exactly with what you just said. I think the same principle is that Disneyland has put out their magic key renewals. They have decided to allow renewals. Uh, this, this was a story that came out last week and I don't want to go through each of the tiers cause you know, you can go just look at the chart online. But the short version of it is that they have brought it back. There are multiple tiers as there were previously. And the big difference is that the there's 
they're all more expensive <laughs> and it's just <laughs> to varying degrees. Uh, and actually the surprising part is that the, the lowest end one is only maybe $50 more expensive ish. And the higher end is several hundreds of dollars more expensive. And the other biggest thing here is that there is no longer any option that has no blockout dates. So even the top option has a week blocked out week, one week to two weeks ish in there, which is the you know week of Christmas into new year is is blocked out. So again, back to that thing of that you know they just released <laughs> with the you know unfavorable attendance mix kind of thing at the parks but yet they have decided well we're still going to allow people to renew and I actually think that's this again I I'm shocked at I know a lot of people are hating on it but I'm actually shocked that they came to a a, a plan that I think is a good compromise because they're getting rid of, you know, you know, you don't need to be able to visit every day. Again, we I talked we I talked about this previously. You know, you get into hot water where when you promise that you can go any day you want and then you can't. But now they're not. Now they're saying there's blockout dates, you're going to have to reserve. It's you know, there's there's all these caveats to it and they're making it more expensive. So they're kind of making the shareholders happy, they're raising the price per day and making everyone happy, blocking out those days, blah, blah, blah. But they're still having an accessible option because honestly, $50 more for the, the lowest option is only keeping pace with inflation. So it's it's really, you know, so I, I feel like it's a really good, it's a really good compromise. You know, they're, they're keeping an accessible option for locals. It's, it's limited, right? You're only gonna be able to go like Monday through Thursday but still, for locals, that's fine. That's you know, when you they want like to, to go anyway. That's when you want to go anyway. Nobody, I never, I don't want to go on the weekends. I never go on the weekends. You know, we go on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, and then giving that top tier option for people and just saying, you know what? You're not going to get the week of Christmas or New Year's. Just plan around it. And again, I wouldn't want to go then either. You know, that's a terrible, you don't want to be going when there's 100,000 people in the park. So, so I, I think overall, it, it's a good plan. Well, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like the uh, the conspiracy theory guy, but I would not be surprised if this was not the plan all along. Mm. That by saying we're not going to do them anymore, everybody's like, "Oh no, we got to, we got to, we got to do them, we got to do them." And then by bringing them back, and they are significantly more expensive in some cases, or just keeping pace with with inflation, as you said. Um, it all, of, but there's there's you know there's more restrictions on them. There's more. Uh, they, they've been they've been retooled. It's sort of like it's sort of like it's sort of like trying to find ways to ease into uh, come up with something completely shocking, and then when you realize no, I'm just kidding, it's half that. Then that no. half that seems like a blessing. So instead of saying, you know, had they just gone straight into the renewals and raised all the prices, everybody would be up in arms because they were all the all the price hikes, and we're not getting as much for our money, and blah 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 blah. Now the focus is on. Oh, they finally decided to bring them back. Oh, thank goodness. So it's a positive thing. It's it's positioning. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying this is what happened, but I would not at all be surprised if this wasn't the master plan all along. Yeah. To say, we're going to hold back. We're going to, you know, put the, the idea out there that we're not going to do these anymore, that people are going to have to pay full day price. And now all of a sudden, when they come back with this uh, retooled, now more expensive, now less... Uh, <clears throat> providing less for more money um, instead of it being chastised for that, it's being praised as, Oh, thank God they're, they're renewing magic keys. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and again, I, I don't think I don't think any of the changes are bad. And I think that's probably why this was part of, you know, if this was indeed part of the original strategy, I think this could be why it's part of the original strategy, because all the things that they're doing, I don't want to go to a theme park on a Saturday morning in the middle of summer. Yeah, I correct. just don't. Correct. correct. Um, so correct. Um, it, it'll, it, yeah. it makes it so that people have a moment to step back and kind of realize, oh, wait a minute, I can't do it. But you know what? I don't want to do it. So that's yeah, okay. You don't really need to. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I still think, honestly, even with the, the price increase for the top tier pass, it's still, depending on your situation, still is a good deal because you're getting parking included. And so basically, TLDR again, like it's about eight visits. So if you were to buy, if you're going to go more than eight times, then it you, you you'll save money. And, and that's, I mean, if you're going to go once a month, which I think is low, honestly, on the low end of, you know, people that, that are locals tend to go more than once a month, um, then you're saving money, even at the top tier. So um, again, like you just said, decide if you don't need it, then you don't need it. Then just do a different, go to a different park, right? And just buy day tickets and go like twice a year or something and, and go. So anyway, back on the... Uh, Walt Disney World side, uh, they have changed around their uh, park reservation system. And basically, uh, the, 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 there's a few tweaks, but um, one of them is that the Disney Park passes will be tied to a specific ticket, like the reservations are tied to a ticket, not guest profiles, uh, which is a big deal. And the other one is that um, they're basically, they're trying to, they're kind of like combining the pools together. So for example, if you have somebody with an annual pass and somebody has a two-day ticket, you can now make the, make the reservations together in one step rather than going through and trying to do them separately. And that's actually a big deal. And that's something that I've come across, which makes things very difficult. Like for example, real example of I have a pass and my parents want to come visit, they get a day ticket we can't make those reservations together. We couldn't previously. And so you, I'd have to go in and see what days I have available. But then then also the what's available is different. It, like it was pulling from a different pool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was just kind of like a met and it, trying to get part. So those these little tweaks are, I, I think are, are very critical. But then again, tweaks that are helping locals because that's it's really more of a help to be local because if you're just visiting for one day and you're just you're making your reservation at the time that you're buying your ticket it's basically these changes don't impact you at all right right i um i have to i have to just claim complete ignorance on this because i have not been back to a disney park since they've gone to a reservation system mm -hmm. so um and and i've talked about this in previous episodes before um to me it takes a lot of the fun out of the experience even though if i really sit down and think about it it probably makes the experience itself better um but i i just haven't i haven't drank the kool-aid yet um so and plus working in the industry i'm i'm spoiled so when i yeah. go to a park i want to go to a park I'm used to going to a park where I'm going with someone who is working there or I'm working there at the time. And I, you know, take my lunch break and go do something fun in the middle or I'm, you know, whatever. So I'm spoiled and I recognize that. I totally recognize that. Um, but I, I, I'm doing a disservice, I think, to my, myself in not experiencing this because I need to see what the guest experience is and, and how easy or difficult. And I may discover, oh my God, I never want to do it without a reservation again. Cause this is, this is perfect. Um, so I, I have to, 
I have to kind of step back from this discussion because I really don't know how it impacts you, but I think you're, the example that you gave, Philip, I think is perfect because it's like, it, you know, one of the things that, that locals, locals and out-of-towners um, are always going to come to the parks together. Yeah. So this seems like it only makes total sense. And I'm a little bit yeah. surprised they didn't do it this way before, but maybe they didn't even think about it and they just realized, oh, crud, this is, yeah. this is something we need to do. Yeah. I still think the system is imperfect, but, you know, if they keep making changes, I think there's a little bit of hope. You know, I, again, it's, it's not like we're never going back. So it, it's kind of a moot point to argue that it should be going back. But I think that um, the, 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 the other big kind of like barriers to this is still that, um, you know, locals, again, not that they care, but, you know, locals like to, like, sometimes I like to go for just a few hours or go at the end of the night for only a few hours because I don't want to encounter the crowd. So I want to wait, but, but the way the reservation system is looking as it's looking at total capacity, like for the full day. So it's not coming to account crowd levels of how many people are really going to be trying to ride small world at 11 PM at night on a Wednesday. It's not looking at that. It's looking at the whole day, how many could be potentially in at one time. So I think it, but I think it's possible for the future to account for some of that stuff and allow people to come in, later but anyway all so those are all all uh moves in the right direction from disney and and policy changes so shockingly so no negativity there which is yep. a, a new thing so yeah. anyway let, let's move on to a, a different park chain which is uh hallow scream orlando has revealed its full lineup of terror for 2022 and i i'll read i mean like a few of these but uh they have they've announced a uh, new and returning haunted houses Blood Beckoning, Siren of the Seas, Captain's Revenge, Dead Vines, and Beneath the Ice. And they announced their Scare Zones, Terrors of the Deep, Sea of Fear, Cargo Carnage, Cutthroat Cove, Frozen Terror, Deadly Ambush, Witchcraft Bayou. And they have three shows this year. The Siren Song, which is returning, and the Monster Song, which is returning as well. But they have a new storytelling, Lurking in the Depths, an adventurer's tale. And then they also have returning their themed bars that have themed drinks with them. And I just want to say, <laughs> I've been recently reading a lot of press releases. We've been doing a lot of reporting on what everybody's been doing, the announcements here and there. I am A plus, A plus to House Scream, uh, SeaWorld Orlando. I, I can't even, I, I, I can't even explain how thrilled reading this makes me because it all makes sense thematically. Like the whole event Everything fits. Everything fits. Like it's it's all related to the themes, to the major villains, even the the drinks and the bars and the scares. Everything makes sense. It's like you could you can look at it and say, oh, this is like a, a story ecosystem where everything has its place and everything makes sense. Nothing is out of character. I mean, maybe the reality when I when you get there, you know, maybe I don't know, a clown will pop up somewhere. But you know, I don't know. It's maybe it'll be a clownfish. It's just, it's very it works so well. And I'm so happy to see this because, you know, I kind of think larger events are notorious for, for it not working together thematically because, you know, uh, we get a lot of the same complaints we get. The desk, the guests don't care that nobody notices operations. It's difficult, blah, blah, blah. Like there's all these, all this stuff you get. But anyway, uh, Scott, you worked on this. I did. Right? I did. So I'm just sitting here going, just keep going. This is great. Uh, but again, I, I did very, very little. I want to give credit completely where credit is due. Uh, the internal team for uh, Hollow Scream at SeaWorld Orlando 
is very, very dedicated to what you just described. And that is to, to making certain that, um, that they maintain a full story arc. And even to the point where in many cases, the different sirens, uh, because it's all based on the, these, these multiple sirens, sirens of the sea who have been called back because uh, of a conservation message actually. So yep. it even ties back into the mission of the park as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I will say I have sat in meetings uh, where um, I have heard the people who are defending the the, the story, who are being the, the guest experience advocate, so to speak, um, saying, no, but it has to. And, and their cohorts and the, sometimes even their superiors are saying, it's OK, you can let the story go. And they're just not letting it. They're they're digging in with with all their teeth and both hands and all their nails and uh, and trying to maintain uh, that story integrity, which I really am impressed with. So, full disclosure, uh, I was uh, I was contracted by uh, by SeaWorld, um, and actually by I was subcontracted through another contractor to work on uh, and create the the venue flow for their brand new haunt, their brand new maze this year, um, which is Blood Beckoning. And I was given some basic parameters, and then. I, you know, did a site survey as to where it was going to go in. And then I created this, this really fun, I think fun, uh, dark and kind of sexy, just saying kind of mm-hmm. sexy, uh, underground homage to, uh, scratch, which is their blood siren. And, um, and they, I, I, I let me put it this way. It was one of the easiest, uh, creative, developments I've done in a very long time because the team told me what they wanted up front. I gave them that plus I told the story that they wanted to tell, uh, in a way that I wanted to tell it. And, um, the, the number of, the number of revisions, I went through one round of revisions, which three or four is pretty common. So I went through one round of revisions and they said, great, we're going to build it. And, um, and then they, we started on the, on the design you know, the design drawings and all of that. So um, it it reinforces something that we've said on this show, I've said for years and years, and that is if you've got a strong story that you can stick to, it actually makes you more efficient as a company. You can continue to move forward because you know what the story you want to tell, and then you can refine and polish the way that you tell it. So um, I'm so glad to hear that, you know, this is what you're seeing. Um, I am anticipating this is what we're going to see in the park. I will say I'm not involved with the, the implementation of this. I was on the front end. I will go and see it because I've already been invited. They're like, we're so excited, Scott. We want to show it to you because we think it turned out exactly the way you wanted it. And I'm, and I'm excited to go back and see it. I know the team that's installing it. So I'm, I'm pretty confident pretty confident it's going to be fun so uh yeah blood beckoning and then i also did one this is and this by the way is the first time i've gone back to sea world parks and entertainment since leaving bush gardens so um i'm so excited to to have just even a tiny tiny part um in this experience and with their new haunt i also have one in sea world in texas which uh is very very different but uh so kudos, kudos to the SeaWorld Orlando team. And I'm not just saying that because they hired me. Uh, kudos to the SeaWorld Orlando team for, for finding what story they want to tell, hanging on to it, and making certain that every element that they put out there is in some way tied back to that overarching storyline. So um, guess what, guys? We're out of time. So hopefully you've enjoyed uh, another week of us rambling. Please tell everyone. Please join our newsletter etc 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 um if you're at any of the the shows that we're at please stop by and say hi um mm-hmm. both philip and i are incredibly approachable and we love to talk to people who listen in fact 
we love to hear that people do listen because uh, so, <laughs> we never know. You know, we just record these things. So on behalf of Philip Hernandez and myself, Scott Swenson, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.